Welcome to the Pastor Nick Santo Podcast, a podcast designed to help you live closer to Jesus. We hope that God uses it to encourage and empower you in His plan for your life. Now let's get into today's content. We're in Proverbs tonight, chapter 4, continuing our our study, um, picking up. Let's jump right into our text, chapter 4, verse 14, on through verse 27, um, and then and then we'll get into uh, what the Lord would have for us tonight. It says, uh, Enter not into the path of the wicked, and go not in the way of evil men. Avoid it, pass not by it, turn from it, and pass away. For they sleep not except they have done mischief, and their sleep is taken away unless they cause some to fall. For they eat the bread of wickedness, they feed on wickedness, and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the just, in contrast to the path of the wicked, is as the shining light that shines more and more unto the perfect day. The way of the wicked is as darkness, they know not at what they stumble. My son, the heart of a father, beseeching a son. If you have a child, you understand the heartbeat behind this phrase. Attend to my words and incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life unto those that find them and health to all their flesh. Keep your heart, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Put away from you a perverse mouth and perverse lips. Put far from you Let your eyes look right on, straight ahead, and let your eyelids look straight before you. Ponder, consider, think about, assess the path of your feet, and let all your ways, your paths, be established. Turn not to the right hand nor to the left. Remove your foot from evil. In my opinion, a great preacher or a great sermon and a good Bible verse have one thing in common. And that is their ability to say a lot in a very few words. And as you read especially scripture, you know that that is God's way. You know that he is able to say as much as he is and to reveal all of the infinitude of his person in a book this size, you know that God knows how to say a lot in just a few words. And he does that throughout the Bible. Sometimes you wish that he would elaborate more. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You're like, give me more. But there's so much in just that alone. It could be expounded for years. Just that one verse. God knows how to say a lot in just a few words. Well, over the past, I would say month, maybe two, I have been baptized In Proverbs chapters 1 through 9, these nine chapters that introduce this book that's before us. And the thing that has struck me the most as I've gone through these chapters over and over and over and over again is how little they say in such a great amount of text. If you read Proverbs chapter 1 and you boil it down to the message that's being conveyed, it's very simply, there are two paths... Pick the right one. And then if you read chapter 2 and you boil it down, the message of the chapter is there are two paths. Pick the right one. If you read chapter 3 and boil it down to the message being communicated, it's there are two paths. Pick the right one. If you boil down chapter 4 to its simplest message, what's being conveyed, the message is there are two paths. Pick the right one. If you read chapter 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9, each of those chapters, what you'll find is that the message that's being conveyed, the word that's being communicated by Solomon, the father, to the children, is singular. The message is, there are, pick the... That's right, you got it. That is the message that is given over and over. And I have poured over these pages and looked for something else. And that's the message. 
And, and for that reason, I was very tempted this week to just get into it, to start hitting the things in chapters 10 through 31 that now are kind of the pithy statements that teach us the principles of wisdom and looking at it topic by topic. But I thought, I thought, okay, if the Holy Spirit thought that it was necessary to say it nine times, then there must be something in that for us before we get into the rest of the content for us to consider this message that are there. But really, if you think about it, the message of the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation boils down to really one message. And that is that there are two paths, pick the right one, right? Genesis in the garden, God says, hey, look, Adam, two trees, pick the right one. Pick the right one that's there. When Moses, who wrote those first five books of the Bible, when he was about to pass away after giving them God's word and revealing as much of God as he could to the people, he said to them, his conclusive sermon was, look, I have set before you blessing and cursing, life and death. I've given you two choices. And then he even gives the answer. He says, choose what? Choose life, right? So he gives, there's two choices, choose the right path. Then Joshua, after he fulfilled his course, when he was signing off, he said, if you think that it is evil to serve the Lord, then you go serve whoever you want. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There are two paths, pick the right one. That was the message that Joshua gave. Years later, when David and the psalmists recorded their songs, again, it's reiterated over and over again. Blessed are they that walk not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. But their delight, the blessed ones, are those who delight in the law of the Lord. In his word, they make that their way. Their leaf will not wither, and whatsoever they do will prosper. There are two paths. Pick the right one, right? Jesus would come on the scene. And in his famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, he would sum up, and he would encapsulate the doctrine of his teaching. And he would put the capstone on it by simply saying this. He says that there is a broad and wide path that leads to destruction. And there are many that go that way. But there's a narrow way and a small gate and a straight path that leads to life. And few there be that find it. And the implication, the message of Jesus representing God in in the flesh is that there are two paths. Pick the right path. One, and this message is given over and over and over and over in the Bible. And this is the message that Solomon is conveying nine times in chapters one through nine. And I believe that the reason for that is because the way of wisdom, which is what's being communicated in this book, is not so much about obtaining the information or even applying the idioms. But rather, it's about making the choice, making the determination that I'm going to walk in this path in the way that God has laid out for me. Now, another reason I believe Solomon gave so much time to conveying this message before getting into the content is because he knew, inspired by the Spirit of God, that the reward of choosing the right path was that good and that The agony of choosing the wrong path is that bad. And so he over and over and over again says, you guys want to do that. Choose what's good, avoid what's bad. And so I've titled this message tonight, Beware of the Honey Trap, The Well is This Way. And you'll understand why as we get into the passage tonight. I looked and I counted in chapters 1 through 9 how many times the word path or way, because those two things are the same. The path is something that you walk on. The way is something that you walk on. Those two words are used 117 times in Proverbs chapters 1 through 9. That's a lot. That's significant. I mean, if you said, well, in the Old Testament, this word is used 100 times, you go, that's a lot of time. I'm talking about nine chapters of the Bible. That concept is used that many times. Now, when the Bible talks about our path or our way, It is talking about our life. 
the timeline of our life, the direction that we go, the essence of our choices, our decisions, the events and circumstances and things that we are and what we do, those things are our path. It's what we choose. It's what we've been given. And Solomon, by the Spirit of God, is setting before us two paths, a good one, which is called righteousness and judgment and discretion, and a bad path, and that path is called comfort and pleasure and ease. And what Jesus said is that one of these paths is extremely wide and very popular, and many people choose it. Which one do you think it is? (laughs) It's comfort and pleasure and ease. But there's another one that Jesus said was the right one, And he said that one is marked by righteousness and judgment and discretion. And all of us have the choice because God has given us a will. We're made in his image. God has the free will to choose. That is something that he imparted also to us as his creation made uniquely in his image. And so we have a choice which path we're going to choose, whether it be the wide one or the narrow one. Now, whichever you choose, whichever a person chooses, anytime you go on a journey or a destination, there are three elements that make up every journey. There is a beginning, the choice that you make. There's an experience, that is the scenery or the environment of what it looks like along the way, an experience. And there is a destination. Every path, every road leads somewhere. If you want to remember those three things, it just spells the word bed. A beginning, an experience, and a destination. Which is why our parents said to us, and still say sometimes, you made your bed, now sleep in it. Right? Because that's what it means. We make a decision, and that decision has a beginning when we make that choice, an experience that follows, and it's going to lead us somewhere. And we then become either victims or beneficiaries of what happens along that path or along that way. And so what Solomon is seeking to call our attention to in this is these two paths. And what we see and have seen is that the entrance of each of these two paths There is a paid host. There is a person that stands at the entryway to both of these things that has a message, and each one of them are like those people in New York City that try to put flyers in your hand, you know? Each one of them is trying to solicit you to embrace their path. And so I want to look at these two ladies that we see. We've mentioned them. We've seen them thus far. We know them by name. One of them has a name. She's named Sophia in the Greek, which is the Greek word for wisdom, lady wisdom personified in the feminine. And the other one is the seductress. She's unnamed, but she's the strange woman that keeps appearing throughout these chapters. And each one of them are the hostess for each of these two paths. And so let's look at chapter 7 for our illustration here, because The question that's before us as we consider these things is why is it that so many are snared into going the wrong way and why is it that so few people succeed? Why is the path so narrow and and, and the number of people that embrace it so few? Well, some of it might have to do with the nature of the seductress and also of Sophia. Notice with me in chapter 7, Beginning in verse 4, listen to what Solomon says concerning this. He gives an amazing illustration. He says, Say unto wisdom that you are my sister and call understanding your kinswoman, that they may keep you from the strange woman, from the stranger which flatters with her words. And now he begins this parable, which was just a story intended to teach. It's not real. It's a hypothetical situation, but it's extremely picturesque and, and it gives us insight into this flatterer, this strange woman. Notice what he says in verse 6. He says, For at the window of my house I looked through my casement, and I beheld among the simple ones. Simple just means undiscerning. It means inexperienced. It means naive. We might say someone who's stupid, or maybe just someone who's young and they're wet behind the ears. They don't have enough experience yet to know the difference between good and bad. I discerned among the simple ones. I discerned among the youths a young man who was void of understanding. And so the victim in this illustration, first of all, the first attribute that we see of him is that he is a person who is undecided. 
So this flatterer, this woman who is seeking to bring people under her influence, she is looking, first of all, for those who have not yet made a resolved determination of which way they're going to go in life. And it also happens to be the first thing that makes a person vulnerable to not know. Well, I haven't decided yet which way I'm going to go. I'm still weighing out my options of whether I want to take the broad way or the narrow way or where I want to take my life. She's looking for those that are undecided. He's void of understanding. He hasn't yet been taught. Going on in verse 8, he says, Passing through the street near her corner, and he went the way to her house. And so the first thing, he just hasn't made a decision. But the second thing that we see about this man, not only is he undecided, he's also unprotected. Meaning he hasn't yet been educated or warned about the error of this woman's ways or what happens to people that wander in her direction. He finds himself intrigued with curiosity. He wants to know, what is is it about over here? What's this part of town like? And so he's uninformed, and he has not yet been influenced by someone who knows the difference between the paths and could steer him in the right direction. So he's undecided, he's unprotected, and then verse 9, it says, in the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark of night. Blackness and darkness of night in the Bible speaks of two things. It speaks, one, of a lack of vision, not being able to see. But the higher context of it is a position of the soul is that there's a darkness over him. He's depressed, he's darkened, his soul is heavy, he's searching for something, which is the reason why he's wandering in the way that he is. So he's undecided, he's unprotected, and he's unhappy. And any time a person possesses those three characteristics, they are vulnerable to the seduction of this woman unprotected, undecided, and unhappy. Well, watch her power in verse 10. It says, And behold, there met him a woman, now she's figurative, she's not literal, with the attire, the clothing of a harlot, and with a subtle heart, or a subtlety of heart. In other words, she's a deceptive rapper. She looks like one thing on the outside, but her motive and intention and her substance on the inside is something altogether different. You guys ever hear about every now and again, someone will just kind of flip their lid and they'll go into their workplace with like a shotgun or something and they'll just wipe out as many people as they can because they, they just, they're hurt, they're angry and they're upset. And so they just, they just want to just hurt people the way they're hurt and they go in and do that. Well, a number of years ago, there was a man And he worked for the the Hershey's uh, Candy Company. And he was disgruntled. And he wanted to hurt as many people as he possibly could. But he didn't want to go to jail. And he didn't want to lose his life. And so he figured out a way to hurt not just the people in his plant, but literally to hurt everyone in the entire world. Do you know what he did? He walked into work in his bitter anger and rage with a pocket full of coconut shavings, and he put them in the chocolate. That's right. He created the Mounds Bar. And then he called it, put some almonds in it, he called it Almond Joy. And he thought, I have just ruined the world, and he did. If you ever went trick-or-treating, if you ever bit into one of those things, it promises so much. I like almonds. I like joy. I don't like almond joy. Coconut does not belong in chocolate. It's a deceptive wrapper. Okay? That's what this woman is. She's a deceptive wrapper. She looks like she's going to bring joy. But in all essence, when you bite in, it says that she's subtle of heart. She's a deceptive weapon. It says in verse 11... And this is her appeal, or I'm sorry, her nature. It says that she is loud and stubborn. Her feet abide not in her house. 
And now she's outside, now in the streets, and she lies in wait at every corner. Essentially what he's saying is that she is attractive and she is unstable, meaning that she has the ability to seduce, but she has no commitment neither to her house nor to you, and she's stubborn in that position. That is her way. She's attractive, but she's unstable, and she's looking for victims. So it says in verse 13, here is her way. It says that she caught him. She found found him, she caught him, she kissed him, and with an impudent face she said unto him, I have peace offerings with me, this day have I paid my vows. Therefore came I forth to meet you, diligently to seek your face, and I have found you. Three things that she does, she brings seduction, she kisses him and gets his attention through his senses, and then she claims innocence. She says, I'm of no harm to you. I have just made my offering to God. This is okay with God. What I'm asking you to do is not going to affect your relationship with God or your destiny from God or your call from God. You indulge in what I am offering you and it's going to be of no consequence to you in your spirituality or in your purpose. Seduction, innocence, and then she expresses interest, which is the hammer that breaks him down. I looked for you. It's you that I wanted. It's you that I was after. I've been searching for you all of this time. She breaks him down. And so in verse 16, here's her appeal. And this is the appeal of the seductress. She says, I have decked my bed with coverings of tapestry, with carved works, with fine linen from Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh and with aloes and with cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love until the morning. Let us solace ourselves with love. So the appeal is completely to the senses, to the pleasure of what he sees with his eyes. Come and see the tapestries with which I've decked out my bed. Come and smell the aloes and the perfumes and be intoxicated by their smell. And then come and rest and indulge in the pleasures that I can bring you. Watch this. Until when? The morning. Remember? It's dark. Listen, I understand what you're going through right now. I understand the season of depression that you're in. I understand the lack of vision you have for your life and the anguish of soul that that's causing you emotionally. And this is just something that can carry you over. You just can indulge in your senses. This is perfect for you. And it will carry you through just to get you through, just till there's vision again, just till there's regular joy. You don't need to do it forever, just for a little while. And when the morning comes, then you can go on your way. You won't need me anymore, and, and, and there'll be no consequence. We'll just solace ourselves. We'll fill ourselves with love until the morning. Notice what she draws him to in her house. She draws him to the bed. The bed is the place of pleasure and the place of sleep. So many Proverbs that we're going to read about the danger of sleep, slumber, spiritually, mentally. Watch this, verse 19. The reason that she gives that he should come. For the good man is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He has taken a bag of money with him. And he will come home at the day appointed. Now the good man in the Bible. There's a principle called expositional constancy. Which means that when something means something somewhere in the Bible. It means the same thing throughout the Bible. And the good man in the Bible is the Lord. That's who he represents here in this parable. That's being put before us by Solomon. And what this seductress is saying is this. He's saying that God has turned his back on you. Right now, he's too busy to care about what you need. He's too, care, too busy and he's too big to make you more than a number. He's not concerned with your purpose or individuality. He's gone on a long journey. He's got what he wants. He's off somewhere else doing something else. And he's not going to come back anyways. So really, he's not interested in you. I am. What do you have to lose? That's the voice of this seductress. God is gone. He can't help, nor is he going to hinder what we're about to do. And then finally, it says the effect in verse 21. It says, with her much fair speech, she caused him to yield. And with the flattering of her lips, she forced him. He goes after her quickly as an ox to the slaughter or as a fool to the correction of the stocks. She caused him to yield. That was the effect that this woman had. Now, understand that this is a parable, and Solomon is exercising this literary thing we call hyperbole. You guys know what hyperbole is? It's an extreme exaggeration. 
meaning that he is giving an illustration that goes way beyond what normally happens when this type of thing, you know, takes place with the intent and purpose of including every other way the seductress represents herself. See, she doesn't just come in this. This is so obvious. I mean, there's probably almost none of us here that would fall for this scenario. The seductress doesn't come in this way. You know how the seductress comes? The seductress comes in the swirl of the wine in the glass. The attractiveness of the bottle up there on the shelf. The blues and the lights hitting the red inside. And there's something inside and and the voice that whispers and just says, just indulge. You're unhappy. God is obviously not interested. The stress is high in your life right now. Just give yourself a little bit to it. She comes in 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 the sound of the cellophane unwrapping on a new pack of cigarettes. Oh, there's something about it. It just, it grabs a hold of my senses. It promises me some relief. It's just for the season. It's just going to get me through for a little while. It's not forever. It's just now. It's just a quick thing. It's not going to hurt me all that much. It comes in so many subtle ways that this thing comes. It comes in the the chic satin finish of the iPhone 11 Pro. (laughs) The white box. The way it suctions off when you first open it up. The three-eyed camera staring at me there. I've got to have it. It's, it's just, I, I'm pulled, I'm drawn, it's whispering, it's calling out to me. I've got to have it. Sometimes she comes with the seductive voice of the refrigerator late at night. You guys ever notice that when you watch TV at night, how you have to keep turning down the volume? Because like as the world just gets quieter, it seems like the volume that didn't change gets louder even though it didn't. I think the same thing happens with food in, in, in the cupboards. I think it starts talking. You can't hear. It's talking all the time. It's going, eat me, eat me, eat me. But, but then when, when, when life just calms down about 9 o'clock, the kids are in bed, all of a sudden it gets real loud, right? Buyer's ice cream. Just come, you know, indulge. It, it comes in so many different ways. But the suggestion is all with the intent of trying to get you to bury yourself in finding purpose in something pleasurable, something easy, something that offers relief at the expense of your vitality and your pursuit of what really matters in life. Now, not all of those things obviously are sinful, but all of those things can be sinful if that's your struggle. And this seductress knows how to come after people in the way that they're most apt to yield. That's what she does. That's the beginning. Well, watch what happens next to this guy in verse 23. It says, Till a dart strike through his liver, and as a bird hastes to the snare, he knows not that it is for his life. He yields to the suggestions of this seductress. And the consequence is singular. It says that it's like an arrow. A dart is an arrow. An arrow that goes through the liver. I believe that's intentional. It wasn't like a lucky shot where she's, okay, she hit the liver. It could have been the pancreas, but she, no, that's intentional. You know why? You know what the liver does? The liver is a filter. When, when, when nutrients pass through the liver, the liver says, this is good, this is bad. This goes out, this stays in. This gets stored, this goes for energy. This becomes ATP. This, and, and, and the liver makes all these decisions about what goes where because the liver can discern what's good and what's not. And what happens when a person yields to the, the broad path and they give in to the seduction, the first thing that happens is that they lose their ability to discern what is good and what is evil. And so they're allowing things in their life. They're experiencing the pleasures and the pursuits of the wide path, but their senses are dulled to even realize what it is that they've given themselves to. And thus by degrees, they're losing their sense of things. And like a bird that hastes to its snare, they know not that it is for their life. You know what's amazing? Is, is, do you know how hard it is to trap a bird? You can shoot a bird, but it's hard to trap a bird. It actually says in Proverbs 1.17, it says that the net is laid in vain for any bird. Because you try to catch a bird in a net, it just goes through the holes and flies away. And, and so what he's saying is it's completely unnecessary that this happened to anybody. But yet, to this man, he doesn't know that it's for his life. 
He says, hearken unto me now, therefore, O you children, here's the warning, and attend to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart decline to her ways. Go not astray in her paths. See, this whole thing is talking about the path, the broad path that leads to destruction. For she has cast down many wounded, yea, many strong men have been slain by her. Her house is the way to hell. And going down to the chambers, even of death. The experience, so the choice, the beginning, was that he yielded. The experience is that he loses his sense of knowing where he's going. And ultimately, his life becomes a train wreck, slowly beginning to spiral down. One of the privileges that I have of being a pastor, and really, you don't have to be a pastor, you just have to be alive with your eyes open for a little while, is that you get to see firsthand the choices that people make and then the experience that those choices yield in their lives. And then sometimes you even get to see the destination uh, where those choices ultimately take them in the end. And you get to see all of that. And, 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 and it's kind of like it's sad on the one hand because it's true that most people make really bad choices. You know, but, but it's also extremely helpful because I have to make choices. And so I have this whole like Rolodex of things that I've seen, stories that I've heard, other people's experiences that I've walked through that I can use when I'm making decisions and choices and discerning temptations and thoughts and things going on in my own life. But here's what, 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 I, what I conclude and what I realize concerning life is that life is filled with confusion with curveballs, with pain. I mean, this is just something that all of us are going to experience in our life no matter what because we're fallen people and we live in a fallen world. And what we want all the time is we want clarity, we want control, and we want comfort. Not that we always want pleasure necessarily, but we just want things to run smoothly. We want there to be some kind of predictability to the way life goes. That's what life uh, is. And what happens is that most people often will naturally take the path of immediate relief without regard to the consequences. And so they're in a situation where they're confused or where they're hurting over something or where they don't have vision over something, and, and there's an option that provides immediate relief. I can feel better right now. I can take this pain away right now. And they'll take that over anything else without regard to what it's going to mean later on down the road or later on in life. And so there's a young woman, and she's got the immediate ache of loneliness. And the easy thing to do is just marry the first person that she meets that takes a liking to her, and that there's some kind of an emotional connection. And there's no regard for what type of person this is, or what type of character that he has, what his goals are in life, none of that matters because right now I'm hurting and I just want to feel better. And so I'm not, I don't care what's going to happen five years down the road. I'll let five years down the road worry about that. I'm going to blow through all those warning signs. I'm not going to listen to anybody else and I'm going to get married. It's an immediate decision to take care of an immediate need. Or the middle-aged man, and he's frustrated with his wife. And things have been kind of shaky. And people change over time. And living stones grind off rough edges of other living stones. And that's not always pleasant. And there's issues that come up in the marriage. And there's the thought, the temptation. Well, everybody just divorces. You can do it for 300 bucks. I'll just, I, I could just have a mulligan. I'll, I'll, I'll do this like I used to play video games. If I'm not winning, I'll just start over. And I'll just shut it down and push reset and I'll put in the new code, you know, up, up, down, down, left, left, right, right, B, A, B, A, select, start. And I can start with a million lives and it doesn't really matter. If you get that, you're really old. <laughs> <laughs> but you understand, I'm just going to start over. I'm going to do something new. I don't want to deal with this anymore. Without thinking about what this is going to mean for the kids. What is it going to mean for me? What's going to mean for them? What's this going to mean for, for me in five years if it doesn't work out the way that I want? No, no thought at all to the consequences of what's going. It can go the other way. The frustrated wife. It can go in any situation of life. Our natural tendency is to take the path of least resistance and least pain and least struggle. And so we don't think about the consequences of what's to come and we make decisions for today based upon what we want today without regard for what's coming tomorrow. There's another woman. Her name is Sophia. 
She's pictured for us in chapter 8. Now, don't worry, we're not going to go through chapter 8. And I knew we weren't going through chapter 8, so don't say, oh, man, he's just, no, no. We're right on schedule. But I want to summarize for you quickly what Sophia says, because now she gets her turn. The seductress gave her spiel, and now Sophia has her turn. And so in verses 1 through 3, we see her dwelling. It's not in the darkness like the seductress, but hers rather is in the light and at the entrance of her path. She's not departing from her house or from her place seeking to seduce and deceive, but rather she is inviting all openly right from where she is. She doesn't have to hide because she's got nothing to hide. In verses 4 and 5, it tells us who her target audience is, and we find out that's everybody. It's all. That there's no one excluded of those whom she's seeking to work. She doesn't have to find those that are unhappy or uneducated or undecided. She calls out to all. There's none excluded, none that are unqualified, none that are unable. We see her character in verses 6 through 9. Her character is of excellence. She's right. She's truthful. She's righteous. And she's simple. She's plain. It's all out there for you to just have. You don't have to have some Socratic wisdom. You can experience the wisdom that she gives freely. Her appeal in verses 10 and 11 is not to the senses Like the seductress who says, comfort yourself, fill yourself with indulgent pleasure. But rather, her appeal is to the mind and to the deeper purpose of God's intent for creating human beings. She says, God made you for a reason. You're made in his image. He values you beyond just your current experience. He's got something for you. And she appeals to that. In verse 12 through 21, the heart of the chapter She gives her promise. This is what I'm going to provide for you should you choose the path of wisdom. She says, I'm going to give you education. A non-intrinsic wealth that exceeds the wealth of jewels and rubies and treasures. A creativity in a mind that can come up with witty inventions. I'm going to make you cutting edge. I'm going to make you relevant in your world, in your day. I will bring you counsel, she says, and strength. And if you follow my path, it will be a path that leads to continual, incremental promotion and provision. That's reliable, that's honest, and that satisfies. That's an amazing promise that she gives. Then it gives her history in verses 22 and 31, or through 31, in which she realizes that this wisdom is nothing other than a personified picture of Jesus Christ himself, which is scriptural. It says in Colossians that Jesus is the wisdom of God. But then it talks in verses 32 through 36, and I would have you look at those verses, concerning the experience and the destination of walking her path. Notice what it says in chapter 8, verse 32. He says, Now therefore hearken unto me, O you children. This is Sophia speaking. For blessed are they that keep my ways, my path. Hear instruction and be wise and refuse it not. Blessed or happy is the man that hears me watching daily at my gate and waiting at the posts of my doors. For whoso findeth me findeth life and shall obtain favor from the Lord. But he that sins against me wrongs his own soul. All they that hate me love death. Her experience and her destiny is blessed life. She says it twice, happiness and life. This is what your life will look like and feel like if you walk in these two things. Now, I want to just give you a machine gun shot of all the verses that describe to you what your life will look like on each of these two paths. If you follow the way of the seductress, then the steps, each daily step of your life is going to feel restricted like you're being held back. It's chapter 5, verses 20 through 22. Verse 22 specifically says that you'll be held by the cords of your sin. Proverbs 5, verse 22. That means that your steps are going to feel restricted. You're going to try to do something, but you're not going to be able to do it, and you're going to be frustrated in your purpose. But if you follow Sophia... It says in chapter 4, verse 12, that your steps will be unrestricted. Are the verses there? Computer malfunctioning? There it is. It says that when you go, your steps will not be restricted. And you, when you run, you will not stumble. Concerning the vision that you want to have to know where your life is going, if you follow the path of the seductress, then your vision is going to be darkness. It says in chapter 4, verse 19, it says, 
that the way of the wicked is as darkness, for they know not at what they stumble, that even in your path you're not going to be able to see. But the way of following Sophia, chapter 4, verse 18, is a way of light that ever increases. She says, but the path of the just is like the shining light that shines more and more unto the perfect day. If you follow the seductress, the environment or the culture that surrounds your life is going to be one of violence and trouble. Chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. It says that the bread of wickedness and the bread of violence, that's going to be your food. That will be, be what surrounds your life. You'll be filled with violence and wickedness. But if you follow Sophia, it says in chapter 3, verse 17, that your ways will be pleasantness and peace. I don't know about you, but I want my daily life to be described and illustrated by pleasantness and peace and not by wickedness and violence. Concerning the direction that you're going, if you follow the path of the seductress, then your path will be constantly unknown and changing. Chapter 5, verse 6. It says that lest you should ponder the path of life, for her ways are movable. That's the seductress, that you cannot know them, meaning that one way you'll think your life is going in a certain direction, but the next day it'll turn on you and you won't know where you are. You'll be lost. Whereas if you follow the way of wisdom, chapter 3, verse 26 says that you'll have confidence. It says, for the Lord shall be your confidence and he will keep your foot from being taken. Meaning that when you move through life, you might not have all the answers and you might not know exactly where you're going, but you'll have a sense of God's leading and his confidence in your life. And concerning your prosperity or your substance, if you follow the way of the seductress, the promise is that your your substance will be reduced. Chapter 6, verses 26 and then 31. It says, For by means of a whorish woman, and the whorish woman is the seductress, it's the false wisdom, a man is brought to a piece of bread. He's reduced to have just a crust of bread, and the adulterers will hunt for the precious life. It then says in verse 20 or, or 31, it says that if he is found, he will restore sevenfold, he will give all. All the substance of his house. It will diminish you more and more and more. Whereas if you follow the way of wisdom, there will be a continual increase. Chapter 8, verses 20 and 21 says, I lead in the way of righteousness in the midst of the paths of judgment that I may cause those that love me to inherit substance and I will fill their treasures. It's an amazing contrast of views to think that on the one side it could be nothing but grief, but on the other side it could be nothing but blessing. The seductress, if you follow her ways, it says that you're wronging your soul and that you love death. But if you follow the way of wisdom, then your path will be blessed and you'll be on the way of life. And so here's the call of tonight's sermon and really of the first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs. And it takes us back to where we began in chapter 4, verse 26. Listen again to Solomon. He says to you and I tonight, now take it off the page and just put it right on yourself. It's you now. He says, ponder the path of your feet and let your ways be established. Turn not to the right hand or to the left. Remove your foot from evil. I asked the question to myself, and I, I know that's kind of the elephant question in the room right now, is that why is there so much text, really? Really, why is there so much text dedicated to just this one thing, this one call over and over and over and over again? Because really, it's kind of an easy decision, right? I mean, who, who in here wants to follow the way of the seductress? Can I see a showing of hands? Uh, who in here wants to follow the way of Sophia, the way of wisdom? Can I see a, a showing of hands? I mean, this is easy. This is like, I could ask my kids this. And I mean, everybody gets this question right. But listen, if it's so easy, then why do so few people find it? If it's so easy, then why is it that there's so few people that are experiencing this type of life? If it's, if it's this easy of a decision to make, then why can't I find it? What's the real issue? Here's the answer. Is that because it's an easy decision, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's an easy path. Though it's free for you to walk on it and you're invited openly and the promises and the benefits are sure and certain, to walk in this way is contrary to our human nature. It's contrary to what we want. Oftentimes, it's contrary to the promise of the easy path, which is comfort and ease. It's difficult to walk on this path. It's not an easy path. Jesus said it was narrow. Jesus said, in the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. 
Paul exhorted the church. And he said that through much affliction we must enter the kingdom of heaven. David said, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. See, to walk this path and to hear the call and to say, I am resolved. I'm pondering the path of my feet. I see what's on one hand. I see what's on the other hand. And I choose to go the way that God says is the right way. To do that carries with it a set of challenges that not many people are willing to embrace. Because it means you're going to have to face some hard truths about yourself that maybe are painful to see. It means that you might have to embrace some of the wickedness of your own heart. You might have to take a long look at some of the things inside of you that that you would just as soon cover or run from or hide from or ease away or numb in some way, but you're going to have to deal with those things. You've been able to hide them or excuse them, but you're not going to be able to on God's path. Because God's ways are going to challenge your approach to relationships and your role in them, and that's not something that's easy to do. It's going to challenge your work ethic on every front, your work ethic at home, your work ethic in the Lord, your work ethic in your work, in your business. It's going to call you to be more involved as a parent and as a spouse and to really know your kids and to love them like Christ loved his. It's going to ask you to do things that you think you can't, and in fact you can't because you're not going to be able to do it without God's help. It's going to challenge your relationship with money, your relationship with things, with the tangible of this world. It's going to call you out on your attitudes and the way you treat people. It's going to call you out because in order for you to love deep enough to live the life that Jesus wants you to live, it means that you're going to have to forgive some people that's going to be really hard for you to forgive. It's going to call you to grow up. It's going to call you to grow up even more than you already have grown up, even if you already have gray hair. It's going to call you to say no to things that everything inside of you wants to say yes to. And it's going to call you to say yes to things that everything inside of you is going to want to say no to. And it's going to call you to embrace and endure an indescribable level of pain in this thing that the Bible calls death to self. And a hush goes over the room. Because nobody wants to die to self. If you want to have your eyes opened, then you have to be prepared for what you're going to see. And that means that you're going to see some amazing, blessed things in the Lord, but it also means you're going to see some depths of ugly in you that you didn't know existed. If you want to have your soul completely healed, then you are going to have to be prepared to deal with what is sick on the inside. And that's not easy to do. I had a a little conversation with God. Sometimes you have a conversation with God and you didn't realize you were having a conversation with God until like a few hours later. Because it's all kind of in the mind. You're, you're, you're intentionally praying, but you're going back and forth with God. And, and I was praying to the Lord, and I, and I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, I, I'm seeing in your word. In fact, God woke me up. You ever, God ever wake you up with a verse or a passage, and you know, you, you know it's from him. And it was that passage in 1 Corinthians 13, the one that says, uh, uh, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. Though I have the gift of prophecy, and I know all mysteries, and I have all knowledge. If I have all faith, I can move mountains. If I can heal the sick, and I have faith... But if I don't have love, I am nothing. Whether there's prophecies, they're going to cease. If there's tongues, they're going to fail. If the knowledge is going to vanish away. Anybody experience knowledge vanishing away? I do every day. But I took it to the Lord and I said, Lord, I I want to love. I, I don't. That's my struggle, Lord. I, I don't love like this. I don't, I, I don't love you like this. I don't know how. I, I don't love people like this. I'm, I'm relationally lazy. And this was just me praying this to the Lord and realizing, just seeing, this is what's in me. I don't have this. Lord, I don't even know how. And I heard the Lord whisper. You know what he said? He said, he said love like you love yourself. And I thought, well, Lord, I, I do understand self-love. I do love myself. And, and, and I, I sense the Lord. He just said to me, he said, well, what has your love for self caused you to do? And I said, ooh, I don't, know. I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> Can we change the subject now? Can I go eat a Mounds bar? Can I, I'll do, I don't want to deal with what is What is my self-love causing me? Well, I can't, I can't hide from God. Okay, I can try to flower it with religious things, but I'm going to be honest. And so, okay, my self-love, out of self-love, I have lied to other people for what benefits me. Out of a sense of self-love, I have been deceptive and manipulative in order to turn things in my favor. 
I have essentially stolen from people, um, maybe not outrightly, but in ways that I knew in the subtlety of my heart, I was using them for something that I would get and I would have to give very little in return. I have done that. I have been exceedingly self-centered in the way that I have dealt in my relationships with other people to the point where I have used them, I have abused, I have put down, I have wounded, I have done unimaginable things to other people out of a love for myself. And the Lord said, good, let's start there. If you're going to love someone else the way you love yourself, then start treating yourself the way you treated other people in order to give to them what you can. Lord, I'll eat a bag of Mounds bars right now. Because I don't know how. I don't have that in me. And he said, right. That now is where my Holy Spirit comes into the picture. Because you don't have it in you to do this. And now, Nick, my son, said the Lord, now you're beginning to realize what it means to pray for the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. It's not for prophecy. It's not for better teachings. It's not for effective evangelism. All those things are are byproducts. All those things are good. The purpose of my spirit in your life is to impart to you things that you can't do on your own. But are you willing to deal with the you that hinders all the other good? See, the path of wisdom that we're being called to walk onto requires something of us that hurts a little bit. Sometimes it hurts a lot. Because it means levels of deep repentance of seeing things in us that we don't want to see laying those things at the foot of the cross and then allowing God to change us from the inside out. And you know what the bottom line truth is? There's just not that very many people that are willing to do that. And that's why, though it's an easy choice, there's very few people that really want to walk on it. And the call of the Holy Spirit to you and I tonight is to ponder the paths of your feet And say, what kind of life do I really want to have? Do I want to hide and excuse and run from all of the issues and just kind of coast on through? Comfort, ease, distraction? Or do I want the fullness of what God has for me? Nine chapters. Here's the word. It's worth it, and you can do it. We're going to close in song, and I just invite you to stand to your feet. And maybe in your heart, there's a plea, a desire, there's something inside that you say, you know what, Lord, I want to depart from the way of evil. I want my feet to be set fully in your path, and I'm willing to embrace whatever that costs. Over the next weeks, as we now will get into what's in chapters 10 and beyond, the Holy Spirit's going to challenge us going to challenge us about our relationship with the world and things in the world with each other with ourselves with our god and the question will be are we willing to deal with it are we willing to hear it father we just thank you tonight and we pray that you would seal this word in our hearts and that you'd cause us lord to move in the direction of your will for us we pray it in jesus name amen thanks for joining us for the pastor nick santo podcast To regularly receive these teachings, be sure to subscribe so you can get it automatically when it's released. If you find this material helpful, please share it and help us get the message of Jesus out to others. We also appreciate your feedback, so if you would, leave us a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, or email us at pastor.nickpc at gmail.com. Until next time, may you continue to love, learn, and live the way of Jesus.